The message this morning is called Becoming an Apostolic People. Would you say apostolic? We want to become an apostolic people. Many of you already have apostolic DNA in you. You just might, might not have language or full understanding for it. When I say the word apostolic, I am speaking of the grace of God and the nature of the ministry of Christ that is apostolic. I am not talking about a denomination. It's a shame that so many words have been robbed and poached. So many things have a connotation to them that is negative. Even elders and deacons for people is like, we have to reteach and retrain and re-instruct people that, hey, deacons don't just cut the grass and fix stuff, and elders aren't the rich guys on the board that we're trying to keep in the church so they don't leave, so they keep giving their money. Now, elders are your pastors. They're the, the shepherds of the flock, the ones who lay down their lives for the church. Did you know that the Bible contains zero references to a senior pastor of any church? This is where people start getting mad and I just say, hey, go read your Bible. Maybe we see so little of the presence and power of God because we've not built according to the pattern. But we've made stuff up and we've asked God to bless what he doesn't even recognize because he didn't build it. But if we build according to the pattern, then we see the manifestation of God's presence and power. It's not about just getting it right for the sake of being right. It's about honoring Jesus. It's about making sure that He gets what He wants out of His church and for His bride. Amen? So as you turn to John chapter 5, I want to dive into becoming an apostolic people. And thanks to Nick Wilson, I actually have a slideshow for you. Everybody say praise the Lord. You know Paul didn't make that slideshow. I still write my notes on a legal pad like it's 1983. Praise God. It's when Miami Hurricanes won their first national championship. It was a good year. I have four sections to this message. So if you're taking notes, you can begin with section one. It's called the ministry of Jesus, our apostle. The ministry of Jesus, our apostle. I'm about to throw this thing through the stratosphere. Where do I need to point it at my head? The ministry of Jesus, our apostle. John chapter 5, look with me and begin in verse 22. The Lord Jesus says, For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent Him. Would you say, sent Him? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, would you say sent me, has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Now jump down to verse 30 of John 5. Jesus continues, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. If I alone bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the testimony which he bears of me 
is true. How many of you know that's the witness of the Father? Bearing witness of His Son in the earth. So I want to submit to you that Jesus Christ was an apostle. We learn this from Hebrews 3.1, which says that Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Jesus wasn't just the good shepherd. Many of us like the shepherding of Jesus, but how many of you know in this hour the church needs to get acquainted with the man whose eyes are a flame of fire with a sword proceeding out of his mouth that with it he strikes down the nations and treads the wrath of the winepress of Almighty God. Now that might not fill us with the tinglys, but here's the problem. We don't like to be warned, we just want to be warmed. And this is why we remain immature. And so Jesus, who is our apostle, he had an apostolic ministry while he was on the earth. He had a prophetic ministry, a shepherding ministry, a teaching ministry, and an evangelistic ministry. Now I want to say something. Jesus Christ is the fullness of those ministries. People get confused and they start learning about the fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers from Ephesians 4.11. And they're like, whoa, that's pretty cool. We see that they each represent something distinct and unique about Jesus. So we could get an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, and a teacher in a room. And we've got Christ. Wrong. Now you got a better chance, you got a more fully orbed expression of his ministry. But when we say Jesus is the fullness of the fivefold ministry, here's what we mean. All the prophets, all the apostles, all the shepherds, all the teachers, and all the evangelists, not just that are alive, but for all time, past, present, and future, that is the fullness of the ministry of Christ. And oh, by the way, they still fall short because they're not the Son of God. And there are just some things that are reserved only for Him. Amen? Praise the Lord. So Jesus is our Apostle according to Hebrews 3.1. Now I want to give you a, a very important statement that demonstrates this fact. We just read a little bit of it. Jesus Himself was sent by the Father to reveal the Father. Upon reconciling humanity back to the Father, He returned to the Father who sent Him. Why are we emphasizing and saying sent? Because this is the reflection of the word apostello, which is the verb form of apostolos, which is where we get apostle. So apostles are sent ones, and Jesus was a sent one. One of the key components of apostolic ministry is an awareness of being sent. Jesus had an awareness of being sent. He knew that he was on a mission. He knew that he came from the Father and that he was going to return to the Father. Now, most people just generally say Jesus came out of heaven and he returned to heaven. But Jesus said that he came from his father. He was sent by his father and he was returning to his father. So we need to understand that Jesus had an apostolic ministry and that Jesus was sent by the father. Why was he sent by the father? To reveal the father. 
God the Father wants to be known. He wants to be understood. So much so that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. John calls Him the Logos, the Word of God made carnate. Paul called Him the icon or the image of the invisible God. So in other words, when you look at Jesus, you see the Father. You understand what He's like, what He hates, what He doesn't want. And we begin to understand the character and nature of God because it was perfectly represented and manifested through the life of Jesus. And this connection is so strong that you can't honor Jesus and not the Father. You can't dishonor Jesus without dishonoring the Father. So much for the whole concept that the Father is the angry one and Jesus is the nice one. No, the three of them. Three who's one what? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Lord our God is one God manifested in three persons. And Jesus the Son put on flesh. And while He was here on earth, He was manifesting, demonstrating, and revealing God the Father. If you're struggling with this, I want to encourage you to just begin to slowly read the book of John and see that Jesus isn't just calling Him God. He's saying, Father. And He's so connected with the Father's heart that it starts to upset people. It starts to really irk the religious leaders who knew how to follow the rules but didn't know the heart of God. How many of you know you can serve in the Father's house and not know the Father's heart? They were trying to get it right, but really they were rebelling against God through their piety. The same way that people rebel against God through their immorality. That's the prodigal son, by the way. The older son and the younger son, neither of them knew the father. So Jesus comes, He reveals the Father. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Nobody could represent God like Jesus. So we like to say that when God couldn't find a man, He became a man. And He put on flesh, and He tabernacled among us, and He was full of grace and truth. He, John 1.18, has explained the Father. In other words, he brought him out into full view. He demonstrated this is what God is really like. And those who could really see him said, Wow, God is so much more beautiful and holy and righteous and loving than I could have ever imagined. Because Jesus reveals the Father. A little bonus for you. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. The Holy Spirit, you can pray, Holy Spirit, would you reveal Christ to me? Would you reveal Christ in me? Would you show me the beauty and the riches of who Jesus really is? Not who the church taught me that He is. Not even who I want Him to be, but who He really is. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to me. And then Jesus, would you reveal the Father to me? Would you teach me how to walk like a son to the Father the way that you did? Would you help me to be in such submission and honor for God that I don't offer the Father any resistance to doing His will the way that you did? Now we're talking about obedience from a place of grace. From a place of following the Lord. It's only when you see Jesus that being a Christian becomes all about what you get to do and not what you have to do. Too many people are still trying not to go to hell when we should be trying to know and manifest the Father on earth. 
So he wants us to be his representatives, his ambassadors, because that was the ministry of Christ. Apostles are father-centric, and you will find that Jesus was very father-centric and father-focused in his ministry. Second sentence here. Upon reconciling humanity back to the Father... So Jesus reconciled us, Romans 5. We were enemies of God. Jesus came, made the sacrifice on our behalf. And when he was slain, his blood made a way for us to know God. And Jesus represented him as Father. And he made statements like, Our Father who art in heaven. Well, what's he doing there? He's sharing the Father with us. He didn't say, My Father. He would have been right for that. I'll pray to the Father and you pray to God so He doesn't pulverize you. He brought us in close and said, Our Father. He said, I'm ascending to my God and your God, my Father and your Father. He wants us to know the Father. So Jesus reconciles fallen, broken, sinful humanity. He brings them back. It was a rescue mission. Hello. Did anybody need saving? Did anybody need rescuing? Was anybody just tired of the darkness and dysfunction and sin? And Jesus reconciled you and brought you back to the Father. You said, oh, I was deceived, but now I can see. Father, you are who I'm really looking for. You're who I need to know. I don't know who I am apart from you, Father. Would you help me, teach me, mold me, shape me? So he reconciles us to the Father. And then what does he do? Boop. He goes back to the Father who sent him. He didn't hang out on earth. Why? He ascends that he might fill the earth with himself. Ephesians 4.10 He goes and he sits down at the Father's right hand. And then he sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. And the Spirit of Jesus is now resting upon and living within the people of God. Jesus made this wonderful statement, John 16, 7. It's to your advantage that I go away. I don't know about you, but I'd be like, Jesus, please don't leave. You're God in the flesh. You're right here. We can walk with you and talk with you and feel you and touch you and laugh with you. And you're saying it's actually better for you if I leave. Why? Because I will send a helper to you. The Holy Spirit. It drives me bananas. That we have treated the Holy Spirit like some inferior force when He is God. And He reveals Christ to us. He's our teacher. He will teach you all things. If you're struggling to comprehend, say, Holy Spirit, teach me. Holy Spirit, show Jesus to me. Why? Because He didn't just go back to the Father and leave us by ourselves. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And how has God come to us in this era? He has come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of adoption, who makes us sons and daughters. 
This is the beauty of the gospel. This was the apostolic mission of Christ. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was careful. He was calculated. It was never random. He came to reveal the Father. And then he was going back to the Father to send the Holy Spirit to us that we might benefit. Amen. And by the way, another bonus, the Holy Spirit is an apostolic spirit because the Holy Spirit sent Jesus. That's what he said. The Holy Spirit stirs up the ministries and the gifts in the church. And he was the one in Acts 13 that said, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I called them. The Holy Spirit is a sending spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who sends, who invigorates, who activates. This is the work of the Spirit of God. This is why we do not buy into, not even for a minute, people that say they're filled with the Holy Spirit, but they have no unction, no movement, and nothing going for them. When God fills your life, when He does the whole takeover, radical things begin to change and start to happen. So much for I'm a Christian, but nobody knew about it. No, when you really get saved and born again and filled everybody knows about it because you get something stirring and moving on the inside but it doesn't stop there it manifests on the outside so if you got put on trial you get convicted for being filled with the Holy Spirit there's a strange language coming out of that lady's mouth there's things that there's no way that she could know or he could know but it was a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. There's such a faith on that person that they wouldn't submit or surrender even if it cost them their very life. Why? Because you might be blind, but they can see Jesus. How are we doing so far? All right, let's keep rolling. So we understand that's the apostolic ministry of Christ. Next point about the apostolic ministry of Jesus is you have to understand that Jesus himself was mobilized on earth. Jesus didn't come to earth, get older, and at 30 say, I am now opening the official church of Jesus Christ. Some of y'all have never had this thought before. Why was he mobilized? This is the apostolic grace that's upon Jesus where he's mobilized and he's moving. And how many times did he say, the Father sent me, the Father moved me, the Father, he, I only go where I see the Father going. I only say what I hear the Father saying. Why? He was mobilized on the earth because the Father was moving him. He made strange statements like in John chapter 3 where he said, those that are born again are like the wind the wind doesn't even know where it's going but it's going somewhere this begins to threaten our need for stability and certainty and God here's my 50 year plan what if God wants to crumple up your 50 year plan and give you a plan back that says trust the Lord I'm not talking about being wishy-washy and flaky and double-minded. Wherever you are, you be where your feet are. You make sure that you're committed and devoted and all in. But you also have to be able to hold it loosely and say, God, whatever you want for my life, I'm willing to say yes. But you know what I found? He begins to reveal it and we're like, maybe not that. I tell people, they ask me about the journey we've been on and what God's been doing and all the doors that have been opening. And I'm like, listen, I am just in a place where I am trying to pray not my will, but your will be done and not lie. 
Next one. Jesus himself created teams and raised up leaders who trained other leaders. Jesus didn't show up and open the church of Jesus and say, All my faithful congregants, come on in and don't forget to tithe. Hello. Three of us. No, He came. He brought the Father to them. He manifested and demonstrated the kingdom of God. And He did it by building and creating teams. How many of you know Jesus could have done it all by Himself? Come on, let your pride take a big old swallow of this. God is God all by Himself. We start thinking God needs me. It's a real subtle form of pride. I get it. I know what you mean. But God wants us. He doesn't need us. I do believe He works in partnership with human beings. But when God wanted to deliver the nation of Israel from Egypt, He could have just done it by Himself. My Lord, He's making frogs fall out of the sky. Some of us can't even catch a frog, and God's raining frogs. I'm pretty sure that He can move His people out of Egypt, but what's He do? He goes and He appears to Moses. Because there's a divine partnership and there's a divine tension here. If you believe that, say amen. amen. So Jesus creates teams. He raises up leaders. Did you know that the church is the only place where people aren't happy when you work yourself out of a job? Should I walk out the door? Come on, wrestle with me. Think for a minute. What we've done is we've made ministry success about people's dependency upon us. Whoo! When ministry success is people's dependence upon God. Where you get trained and equipped and built up and raised up and you say, I know the Father for myself. If you walk away from the Lord and you blaspheme God, I'm not falling away. I might just fall into Him harder. Because I know the Lord and He's real to me. I'm not following a pastor. I'm following the pastor who's Jesus. I believe in leadership. I believe that God has ordained in His church the fivefold ministry. But we have got to stop sucking the life out of people and wanting them to be God for us. There's such an idolatry of it. If you can't tell me what God is saying, well, I'll go follow someone else who can, and they can't either. You need to hear the Lord for yourself. Mature prophets don't just give you a prophecy like every month, like a newsletter. Here's what God's going to do in your life. They teach you how to hear and obey the voice of God because you're so united with Him. You're like, I got it. I read the newsletter straight from the Father. So Jesus creates teams. He's a team builder. You read in Mark 3 that He draws those who He wanted. And by the way, He chose Judas. Holy Spirit, help me. Did you know that the Judases will develop you into your calling? Judas promoted Jesus to the cross. <laughs> Judas helped Jesus into the will of God. What if we stopped despising Judas and started forgiving him and blessing him and thanking God for him? Thank you, Lord, for this thorn in my side. Thank you for the boss I can't stand. Thank you for teaching me how to honor people and love people who don't love me back because the whole journey is to be like you and less like me because I'm a brat without God, but I can be brave with the Lord on my side. 
So God wants to raise up leaders. We want to develop and train leaders. And y'all listen, you don't need a title to be a leader. You don't need somebody. Listen, if God has graced you, if God has called you, uh, sister, I'm just going to use you because you always stand out to me. I was so grateful that you were singing today, Kimberly. Why? Because she's got an anointing and a grace. Did you hear the exhortation that came forth? I was listening to Jesus minister to me through you. You you don't need a title. You don't need the recognition of man. Can I tell you one of the sickest symptoms of religion is it makes you feel like you need man's permission to do the will of God. And by the way, spiritual authority without relationship is just manipulation and control. Who's your daddy? God the Father. Next point. I'm trying. Here we go. Next point about the apostolic ministry of Jesus. He walked in signs, wonders, and miracles as the Father validated His Son and authenticated His message. Jesus did things that were unthinkable. Jesus did the impossible. How many of you have ever commanded the wind and waves to stop? We've tried, right? (laughs) It's the wedding day. The clouds are forming. Jesus, have mercy. We just want to get married outside. And God may or may not have honored your request, but something about the ministry of Jesus and the demonstration of power I want to clarify something. That Jesus didn't pray for everybody who was sick. You want to be honest with the text or not? But everybody that he did pray for got healed. Even people he didn't pray for, like the woman that just reached out and touched the hem of his garment. He said, power flew out of me. It emanated, radiated, something moved. Who touched me? God wants to put a faith inside of the people of God that says, if I could just touch Jesus, if I could just lay a hold of his garment, everything would change. It's when you begin to believe that nothing will ever change, that you are under the dominion of darkness and you need deliverance. He's a God of hope. He's a God of peace. He's a God of life and joy. He can set you free from all that ails you. God can do whatever He wants. He's not limited by us. Smith Wigglesworth said that we sin when we measure God by the limitations of our unbelief. It's called a box. The miraculous starts to break out in the room and people start struggling. What's going on? You've got religion in you that you need to get delivered of. You need to repent for your unbelief. If all you do in a miracle or healing moment is repent of your unbelief, that would benefit the moment better than you pretending like you believe it can happen when really you know you're full of doubt. Jesus can do whatever He wants. He's not limited by anything except Himself. 
So he performed signs, wonders, and miracles. And the true mark of apostolic ministry in all patience, it says, is signs and wonders and miracles. There are things that God does that he demonstrates. That he authenticates the message that is preached. Because apostles are representing their ambassadors of Christ. Jesus came to reveal the Father. And the apostles reveal the ministry of Jesus and the Father. Does that make sense? Don't lose me now. The Father validated His Son. But did you know that God's validation of Him was before He ever performed one miracle? He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If you miss your baptism moment of affirmation and affection, you'll go on in the ministry looking for affirmation and affection. That you should have got an intimacy with God, hearing His voice and saying, I really love you. You go on to perform and become a chimpanzee in the circus, and you think ministry is about making everybody happy when it's about pleasing the Lord. Next slide. I don't know if this is working or not. We're just going to cast it out in Jesus' name. Jesus preached with power and authority. He preached with an authority where people were like, this isn't like our scribes. Now it doesn't say that Jesus stood up and shouted and spit and frothed at the mouth on everybody and they went, whoa, power. It was the witness of God upon His message where things begin to shift and stir. Can I give you a hint? The most anointed you is the authentic you. Just be yourself. We try to imitate people. We try to walk in what God gave them and it's another form of idolatry. Just be who God made you to be. And if you don't know, you need time with Abba Father to validate, affirm, and encourage you in your calling. So Jesus preached with power and authority. This is important. The next point is probably the quencher for this morning. I want you to hear this. True apostolic authority is never demanded. Would you say never demanded? It is recognized and honored. Y'all, the body of Christ, I'm so happy. I feel so much joy in my heart over this. God is restoring the apostolic ministry to the church, but here's the beautiful thing. We're getting delivered from all the CEO bullies who carry business cards who make you feel small and call themselves an apostle. All the apostles I know in my life never asked for it, struggled and didn't want to be it, and they're not going to lead with, I'm Apostle Bob. Now, you, you might be imposter, Bob. It's never demanded. Like, we don't actually owe you some kind of special tithe. I just, I, I really feel like God has put such a burden in my heart to just destroy apostolic elitism because it stinks in the nostrils of God. How should we think about apostles? Well, praise the Lord. God told us in His Word, 1 Corinthians 4.1, that apostles are servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. So we should think of apostles as servants of the body of the Lord, stewarding the mysteries that God reveals to them. How's that for a biblical size? 
But we've created this whole thing of, is it any wonder why everybody wants to be an apostle? Because they think it means, I'm going to be the big dog and I'm going to be in charge. Everybody's going to listen to me. You know what? Maybe people don't listen to you because your message doesn't match your lifestyle. Maybe people will start listening and start honoring and start coming up under when they realize there's substance here. There's reality here. It's not just all talk and words. It's real demonstrations of power and sacrifice. God appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 28. We'll get to this in the months ahead. But I just want you to know that that's a building process, not a podium. It's not some kind of platform and I get to be first and <laughs> look at you, our prophets are runner-up. First loser, not. That's the competitive nature that's stupid that comes from the world that we've got to get washed of. It's a building process of how God fits together His church so that the saints become mature and that every joint can supply. Are y'all still with me? So please don't listen to anybody that demands respect, that demands authority. If you want to be honored, live an honorable life. Let's go to section two. We're definitely not going to get to all this today. Nick, you were right. I owe you lunch. (laughs) Section number two, the ministry of apostles today. The ministry of apostles today. Section one was the ministry of Jesus, our apostle. We're talking about becoming an apostolic people and God restoring this grace and function in his body. Second section, I want to talk about the ministry of apostles today. Number one, I'm going to make a few points about the function of apostles today. And this is probably as far as we'll get. Number one is foundation. Apostles are foundation layers. Ephesians 2.20 says that God through the foundation of the apostles and prophets, is fitting the body together and we're becoming a holy habitation in the Lord. Let me clarify something. Apostles and prophets themselves are not the foundation. They lay the foundation. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11 says that no other foundation can be laid except Jesus Christ. He's already been laid. He's the choice stone in Zion. The precious cornerstone that the builders have rejected. He is the foundation of his church. So apostles and prophets lay him as the foundation. You know what apostles and prophets are really good at? They have a gift and grace from God to deflect glory and honor and make it all about Jesus Christ. It's what burns inside of them if they're healthy. But where they get contaminated is when they start receiving it for themselves. How jealous of God's glory is God? Well, I don't know. Ask King Herod. Acts 12. Just didn't give God credit. They said, oh, he's God. And he didn't recognize that he wasn't God. He was a man and an angel of the Lord struck him and killed him. What if we're approaching an hour in the body of Christ where the angel of the Lord is going to appear? And he's going to strike those that aren't going to give God glory. He's going to tear down platforms that are built on personality and charisma. And he's going to raise up people that are really wanting to make Jesus famous. 
that have already determined before things get big. I'm going to honor Jesus with everything I have. I'm not in it for money or crowds or people. I'm in it for Jesus. Whether there's five or five thousand, I'm going to be faithful to fulfill my assignment. Whether it makes me famous or gets me killed, Jesus be glorified. Apostles and prophets are foundation layers. Kindred to this point is that apostles are architects in the body of Christ. They carry a grace to build the house of the Lord and put things together in proper order, which is why they're first in the sequence. Remember, it's a sequence. It's not an order of significance. It's in order of sequence, and apostles are first because they're going to lay Christ. There's going to be a solid foundation. They're going to position and equip the ministries in the house and that which every joint supplies so that the body can be alive to the head who is Jesus. They're builders, they're architects. Their wise master builders is the language of Paul, Sophos Architectone, in 1 Corinthians 3.10. He possessed a wisdom. Can I ask you a question? If there are wise master builders, do you think there are foolish builders? There are people making stuff up and building on sand and asking God to bless what he doesn't even recognize because he's not building it. We've tried to claim uh, the, the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church Jesus is building. But if he's not building the church, hell's going to come and ransack you and ruin you. You want to be under the covering of the blood of Jesus. You want to be connected to the chief apostle who is Jesus. Please say amen. Humor me just for a few more minutes. Foundation is so important. Foundation laying. Making sure that everybody rightly understands and gets why are we here and what is this all about? Why? Because not everybody comes to church for Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone of his church. Maybe God was bearing witness to that. Praise the Lord. Better than an angel with a sword. Number two is revelation. The ministry of apostles today, they carry revelation. This is Ephesians 3 verse 5. That the holy apostles and prophets that Christ has revealed himself to them. So what you find is that apostles have unique and unusual revelation into the person and eternal purpose of Jesus Christ. They're carrying something that is special, that is unique, that is very developed. It may be accompanied by dreams and visions and encounters, but it's ultimately anchored and rooted in the Word of God itself. They're able to teach and explain and expound and show you Christ in the scriptures. Why? Because the point isn't about knowing the book. It's about knowing the author. You can have a relationship with the book and go to hell. But you can't know the author and not get delivered of all your demons. Oh, we've missed the whole point of reading. Oh, just, just 
trudging through. Say, God, reveal yourself to me. He's in Leviticus, by the way. Oh, that was for somebody who started their Bible reading plan early, who just started Leviticus, and they're like, oh. I'm like, can you imagine living under Levitical law? We can't even read it. We're like, oh, God delivered us from the law. Thanks, Jesus. I'm like, no, we need a revelation of how awful having your sins ever before you really was. Thank you, Lord, for the blood. Somebody say amen. So the eternal purpose of God, which is mentioned in Ephesians 3.11, apostles carry unique insight into that purpose, into that mission. If you are around the ministry of an apostle and you don't know Jesus more clearly and with more fervor, you might not be around an apostle or you might not be born again. Paul said, when God was pleased to reveal His Son in me, Galatians 1.16. He had an encounter. Jesus didn't just show up and say, Hey, Paul, could you stop doing bad things? Christ was revealed in him. Scales fell off of his eyes after blindness for three days. How does somebody go from persecuting the church to dying for the church? How do we go from persecuting to being persecuted because I met a man named Jesus? Because he knocked me on my back on the way to Damascus. My life was going one way, but then Christ revealed himself to me. Listen to preachers that Christ has revealed himself to. The difference is really vast. It's called information versus revelation. We've got too much information. It's the information age. Everybody has a social media account. We don't need to know more stuff about God. We need to know God. Number three. The ministry of apostles today, their function is impartation. Apostles impart. What do they impart? Primarily they impart the fatherhood of God to the church. Apostles carry a burden that the sons and daughters of God would know God as Father. They reveal the Father in unique ways. They impart the Father to you. They make you realize the whole point isn't so that we can just talk to the cosmic creator in the sky, but we can actually be fathered by God. That's an impartation. That's a spiritual transmission and release. Apostles can also impart spiritual gifts. If you read Romans 1.11, that there's an impartation of gifts. There's a stirring up and an activation and a kindling of what God has placed in someone. This can happen through impartation. Now, can we just clarify one thing real fast? No one can impart maturity to you. Wouldn't it be great if your dad could just lay hands on you and say, grow up in Jesus' name and boom. You've got all the wisdom and all all the, the life experience of your dad, but it don't work like that. You got to be disciplined. You got to grow into it. You got to learn that there's an impartation. 
of the fatherhood of God to the church. There's also wisdom for life in the kingdom. Many apostles, they're just revelators. When you listen to them, there's just something dripping off of them and they begin to speak in such a way and it's not just eloquent, eloquent like fluffy stuff. You're like... Okay, I know that's Bible, but I've never heard it quite like that. I've never understood it with that much clarity. That's the ministry. Something's being imparted to you. God imparts to us through His Word, through what we hear, and also through the laying on of hands. Impartation is really important. I also want to clarify something because I guess I'm in the mood. This is not about age. This is about grace and function. This is not like the, all, all the old guys get together and like, well, who, who's an apostle? The grace that God has given you is the grace that God has given you. You can't pray and ask for like a change. It's before the foundation of the world. He made you who you are. And it's our maturity that grows to walk in that grace. So you can't be an apostle on Tuesday and a children's pastor on Wednesday and not an apostle back on Tuesday. People get weird about this stuff. This isn't like you get older and you age into apostleship. It says in Romans 1.5 that apostleship and grace was given by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one. Jesus gives the ministries, the five ministries to the church. And it is up to Him to determine and decide who is given these ministries and... The sphere and the grace and the metron, the measure that they carry. Because there's different kinds of apostles, different kinds of prophets, different kinds of teachers, etc. Are y'all still here? So impartation is big. Why in the world would Paul have to tell Timothy, don't let anyone look down on your youth? Timothy was not the pastor of Ephesus. Show it to me. I'll repent publicly. You can't. Timothy was an apostle. Silvanus, Silas was an apostle. Barnabas was an apostle. We've got it all backwards. Let's go read the pastoral letters. Wrong. Let's read the apostolic letters of First and Second Timothy and Titus. Why? Because these are apostolic instructions for the church. Of the Lord Jesus. Don't let anyone look down on your youth. People are going to say. You're not old enough to be an apostle. And God's going to say. Who cares? Do what I asked you to do. Do it if everybody misunderstands you. Go preach like Jeremiah. Even if nobody repents. You just be faithful. To do what I've asked you to do. And by the way. When's the right age to serve the Lord? Because I'm pretty sure that the enemy tells you you're too young and then you reach a certain point and you're too old. And when did I miss my prime? Or was it insecurity and fear that talked me out of today's the day to serve the Lord? Whether you're 8 or 88, keep a fire burning in you. What if we stop looking down on our kids? Oh, look at the kids. They're just mimicking. What if they know Jesus and you don't? I knew Jesus when I was a kid. He was real to me. I'm telling you, I got baptized and I was ready to die for Jesus. And I don't know, dad, seven, eight. 
because Christ revealed himself to me. Oh, it wasn't a, oh, do it because mommy and daddy are happy and everybody's going to clap. It was real. Number four. How are we doing? Are we okay? Reproduction is number four. The ministry of apostles today, their function is reproduction. Why? Because as fathers to the church, they raise up sons and daughters who train others. Apostles always reproduce themselves and Christ in others. You cannot say you're an apostle and not have people following you and learning from you and being trained by you. This is weird, but people are like, yeah, I'm an apostle. I'm like, okay, where are your sons? Where are your churches? Where's the fruit of your... Well, well I'm, an, I'm an internet apostle. Hello, 2023, almost 2024. This is the world we live in. I'm a business apostle. Dear God, if you start a business, praise the Lord. Honor God with what He gives you. But that doesn't make you an apostle. People are like, I'm a landscaping apostle. I'm like, whoa, can you come and plant my shrubs? Maybe they'll be on fire, but they won't burn up. Because I, I fear that it's like we want to lower the bar and make everybody feel. It's like, listen, the word of God says he gave some. It doesn't say most. It doesn't say all. It's not some super cool exclusive club. It's a death sentence. Give your life. Serve. Die. Be forgotten. Make me famous. Don't live for yourself. And Jesus said to whom much is given, much is required. We'll know that we're walking in right alignment with the word of God when nobody wants to be an apostle anymore. Paul said, though you have 10,000 teachers, you have but few fathers. Fatherlessness is a curse in our nation and in the church. We are suffering under the plague of fatherlessness. Y'all, we have an ADHD epidemic. Y'all not hearing me? We have an ADHD epidemic. We have kids that can't pay attention, that have no, no real respect and honor. Can I tell you what ADHD actually stands for? An absence of dad's healthy discipline. Oh, we just raised the kids and you're, it's all about you. And then they get out in the world and it ain't all about you. And it's supposed to be all about Jesus, but we let you be a little brat. Because as Mark Driscoll would say, we're over-mothered and under-fathered. And we need godly mothers. Mama, say amen. We need nurturing and caring and shepherding. But you know what? Your kids can't do everything. They can't be whatever they want. The odds of your child being the president are astronomically low. Probably more likely than you floating through Neptune. My fathers reproduce. Fathers, father. You know what? Fathers disillusion their kids. 
When your son goes 0 for 4, like 8 games in a row and can't hit the broadside of a barn and is swinging at all balls and no strikes, it's the dad who says, we're going to practice in the backyard and we're going to learn to see the difference in the arm angle between the fastball and the curve so that you can start hitting. Why? Because you might not be playing next year because you might not be good enough. All the moms are like, just get out there, buddy. We're so glad you're here. And really the kid's embarrassed. I met with a man who was almost 30 years old. He never played football a day in his life, and he told me that his dream was to be a coach in the NFL. I couldn't laugh in the moment, but I've laughed a lot since then. What are we dealing with? We're dealing with illusions. You who played no football who coached no football, are going to football the footballers at the highest level and make millions. Tell me you're deceived without telling me you're deceived. And fathers are the caregivers in the church that say, hold on, wait a minute, what did you just say? Stop and call a timeout, let's assess, let's review. I don't think that's true. It's not about being mean to people, it's about loving people. My God, how do people reach the age of 40 and think they're going to have an album, but really they can't sing? And really it's not because they couldn't sing when they were 40. They couldn't sing when they were 4 or 14. But nobody said, you can't sing, that's not your calling. We said, oh, it sounds wonderful. But really we're like, mm, cringing. Oh, say can. Just kidding. Why? There's an absence of fathering. It's a curse. It's an epidemic. We can deal with ADHD if we start fathering and disciplining our sons. And by the way, I understand that we're correcting the uh, horrors of abuse. But can I just encourage you from the Word of God that the Lord is concerned not with you disciplining too much. He's concerned that you're going to spare the rod and not discipline enough. Because it's not convenient. It'll interrupt your plans. You might not get to go out to dinner even though you said you were. Why? Because they're throwing a fit. And you know what? Going out to eat is a privilege. It's not a right. I like what Shaq said to his kids. He said, we're not rich. I'm rich. Yeah. <laughs> said, if you've got an idea for business, submit it to me. I'll see what I think. That's fathering. You never thought I'd quote Shaquille O'Neal, did you? My God, how can an unsaved heathen parent his children better than us? Number five is maturation. This is an apostolic function. Why? Because apostles are given to the body so that every member would grow up and function. Especially the fivefold ministry. Where the ministry of apostles is neglected or ignored, there is not the fathering in people's lives that need to take place so that they grow up. In other words, people that are disconnected from apostolic ministry are sentenced to a life of orphanhood. We've got to stop the whole thing of you, you didn't correct me correctly. 
correction hurts, but it's for our good. I want to give you a challenge. Text people in your life or ask people in your life who who you're close to and say, would you please tell me something I'm not good at? You should know what you're not good at. You should know what you're not called to. This is a part of health and self-awareness. How can we say get in our lane when we don't know that this ain't our lane? That these aren't our lanes. This is who I'm supposed to be and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. There's a maturity. Paul says in Colossians 1, 28 and 29 that the whole purpose was admonishing and teaching every man to grow up because you, we want you to be complete in Christ. There's a maturity that happens. It's really hard to remain a boy around the ministry of apostles. Just because you're 30 and you can shave doesn't mean you're a man. Men don't run from responsibility. Men aren't afraid of greater weight on them. They say, God made me strong and it's to benefit and bless others. And by the way, if you're called to the fivefold ministry, the primary people that should benefit from who God made you to be are your wife and your children or your spouse and your children. If you miss them, if your husband and your children don't benefit from it, but you had a wonderful life in the body of Christ, it all just might burn up before the Lord. Maturation. Number six is reformation. The ministry of apostles today. I submit to you that prophets carry revival and apostles carry reformation. The two of them working together is a beautiful blend that's needed in the body of Christ. But what I see is that prophets carry the move and the wind of God that brings revival. But I believe that revival is unto reformation. Revival wakes us up. It awakens us from our slumber so that God can reform and heal and set right the church. We need a reformation in this hour. We are in the middle of an incredible one right now. God is bringing sweeping reformation to His church. You know how many people are sick of the lights and fog and smoke and Well, what's happening? Well, it worked for a few decades. The seeker-sensitive movement that was a plague on the church that told everybody, you're here for you and not for God is fading. It's breaking off of the bride of Christ and people are beginning to see it's all about Jesus. We're here for Him. The, The needs of everything else is secondary. Because there's a reformation that's taking place. Apostles labor to see order restored to the church. To see the church reformed to her original pattern. To see things be done in decent and in order where there's a biblical expression so that God can dwell there. Because it's not about gathering together. It's about being fit together and being a living body. An organism and not an organization. A body, not a business. God help us. Send reformation, Lord. 
The way that you delivered us from all the heresies and nonsense of the Catholic Church. Lord, would you deliver us again and reform us again and take us deeper into the Word of God that our expression of faith might match what you've written and what you've preserved. Did you know Jesus is in heaven until the period of restoration is complete? Acts 3.21, Acts 3.2.1, Jesus is back. When that period of restoration is complete, God is restoring himself to his church. He's restoring the fivefold ministry. More people are talking about fivefold ministry than ever before. We need more conversation and more discussion. I think about the fivefold ministry every day. Why? Because you can't build the house of the Lord without understanding this stuff. It's a New Testament filter. Otherwise, we just install a pastor who's probably a teacher or a shepherd, and we just have great Bible studies and life groups until we die. Please hear me. My heart is not to be offensive. It's just to be truthful. All right, let's go one more. There's there's a lot, but we're, we're just, let's stick with seven. There's more than seven, but I like sevens. So does God. Take it up with Him. Number seven, the ministry of apostles today is confrontation. Apostles confront demonic strongholds opposing the knowledge of Christ. Apostles are given to guard doctrine in the church. Did you know that the New Testament is written by apostles? They're given to sound and clean doctrine that leads to godliness. There is a confrontational nature to the ministry of apostles where apostles are willing to take great risks to defend the church or rescue people from error. Why? Because they're carrying reformation. Can I tell you? You can't have reformation without confrontation. People are going to start going, Oh man, you just talk about other churches all the time. We're not trying to put anybody down. We're just trying to make sure everybody catches fire. We don't want other places to close. We want them to wake up. God is doing something mighty in the earth. Make sure you're not sleeping in your tomb of religion when He returns. So much so that when Peter got a little sideways, when they were saying you got to be circumcised, you got to do something in the flesh to be saved and born again, and Peter was like kind of a chameleon a little bit. He hadn't shed all of those layers yet from the fishing industry. And he was circumcised guys oh the uncircumcised he was hanging out with the Jews and the Gentiles and the hypocrisy sparked Paul another apostle not even an apostle of the lamb not one of the twelve but Paul writes in Galatians 2 I confronted him to his face I got right in Peter's face and said Peter what are you doing so much for Hey, you're really hurting people's feelings. No, you need to repent. What you're doing is sinful and wrong. You need to get right with God, Peter. You need to get back on track and be the man of God who I know you to be. 
You're acting like the guy that was denying Jesus. You need to be the guy that preached on Pentecost a little while ago. The confrontational nature, can I say something? It's not confrontation for the sake of confrontation. Because apostles are not bullies. Apostles bully bullies. Because there's always a bigger fish in the sea and you just might not be the biggest fish. Apostles ensure that there's a safe place for people to grow, for people to learn. They confront the wolves in sheep's clothing. Let's have a family conversation. People don't come in and go, hi, I'm here, I'm a wolf, I'm here to destroy stuff. What they do is they want to pray over everybody. They want to get close to leadership. They just want to hang out with people that can give them some kind of access and some kind of authority. They make sure that you know that they give, gave a big gift to the church. Why? Because it wasn't about generosity. It was about access. And there's a confrontational nature to guard and protect and say, this is the Father's house. The Father is in the building. Did you know the kids act different when Daddy's home? At least our kids do. And their mama disciplines them well. But there's something about the nature of the Father that when we know the Father, we're not free to do whatever we want and act like fools and treat each other like garbage. There's a higher standard that, hey, this is where we love one another. This is where we serve each other. This is where we put each other's needs before our own. Why? Because we're not here for us. We're here for Him. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Sorry I didn't get to everything. Nick, where are we going to lunch? (laughs) Glory to God. Austin said, Ruth Chris. I want you to pray with me just for five minutes, okay? Just five more minutes. I'm going to challenge you and stretch you a little bit. Nobody's going to play. We're just going to pray just for a couple of minutes. And I want to ask in the name of Jesus that every stronghold that is opposing Apostle Jesus in this region would be torn down and thrown out and cast out in Jesus' name. Father, we're asking that the greatness of the fame in the name of Your Son would be rightly seen and honored and glorified. Lord, we're asking that You would demonstrate Your power and signs and wonders and miracles. God, would You heal the sick? Would You raise the dead? Would you cleanse the lepers and cast out demons? Would you do what you were sent here to do? Would you raise up the fivefold ministry in the earth to fulfill their assignment? God, I'm asking that fear would break off of the church of Jesus. That you would deliver us from the fear of man, from the fear of failure, from the fear of success. And that you would put great faith in our hearts to love you, honor you, serve serve you and give you all that we have. Lord, we acknowledge that we were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus, that you paid a high and lofty price to deliver us from all that ails us. We plead the blood of Jesus right now. We apply the blood of the Lamb of God over our hearts, over our minds, over our marriages, over our families, over our children, and over this church that the gates of hell will not prevail. 
that Jesus will be seen and honored. God, we're asking for the bumper crop of souls. We're believing for salvations. We want to see our unsaved family and friends come to know you. We want to see them in the baptismal waters here in this house. We want to see drug addicts delivered. We want to see perversion leave. We want purity to come. In Jesus' name, raise up an army for the living God. Raise up an army in this hour, we pray. Move us out of the nursery and into the army, I pray, Father. Let us grow up. Let us mature. Let us lay hold of that for which you laid hold of us. Oh, would you activate and stir your people this morning? Would you tear down every stronghold of dead religious tradition? Deliver us from going through the motions and set us on fire. Come on, just one more minute. I want you to lift your voice. We're shifting things. Those that have a natural mind, they don't understand. But may God give them understanding. We're praying in the Holy Ghost. We're lifting up the name of Jesus. We're letting the enemy know that we're not backing down. We're not going home. We're not shutting up. We're going to make a choice and be a voice to lift up the King of kings and Lord of lords. Come on, 30 more seconds. People of God, reach for the Lord right now. Oh, wake up, oh sleepers, that the light of Christ would shine on you. Those that have the appearance of being alive, but really they're dead. God, resurrect them in Jesus' name. I want you to shout Jesus with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus! Come on, one more time. One, two, three. Jesus! Come on, let's give the Lord a shout of praise. Let's honor Him. Think of all that He's done for you. He's worthy, worthy of praise, worthy of honor. All glory and power and dominion belongs to the Son of Man. The one who was and is and is to come is our risen King. Go forth in faith. Go forth in hope. Let everybody know that Jesus is risen. God bless you. And have a wonderful day. Let's make hell pay.